recording is going. Here we all are talking across the internet. This is my first um, interview for this podcast that's virtual. Normally they're all in person. Um, so this will be a new one. And it's also the first time I've done two people at once. So just for, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is not going to go well. Menage all my all my listeners are gonna get so angry with how much sexual innuendo there is in this thing. We haven't even started yet. You're already putting that warning out there. Here we go. All right, so I'm gonna do a little um, intro here, and then we'll just keep get get going. I'll in- introduce both of you. Do you guys mind if I introduce you as brothers? That's fine. episode of A Simple Life with Michael Jeffries. On this podcast, we attempt to let go of all the subtext and social barriers that hold us back. It isn't about being right or wrong. We're just trying to keep it real. Today, we are turning the volume up to 11, episode 11. (laughs) Uh, If you get that joke, good for you. Uh, That was a great movie. All right, a couple of housekeeping notes before we get started. This episode brought some learning curves for me. Uh, First one that I've done virtually. Uh, First one with two different guests at the same time. Um, One of the guests had a pretty rough microphone situation. So like you'll hear rough cuts in here. You'll hear, I, I, I listened to it several times trying to like, bring his volume up, bringing our volumes down so that they could sync up a little bit, muting him when he's not talking so that it wasn't like he had this really kind of weird thing going on in the background. So anyways, that'll affect the audio in some ways. Um, I could have probably made it better if, if I'd have kept on tweaking it, but I, I'm, I'm ready to be done. <laughs> Uh, if you love audio recording and you're listening to this, if you love editing audio and you want to help with future episodes, feel free to reach out. You can visit anchor.fm slash a simple life and leave me an audio message. Um, another uh, housekeeping note, you'll hear a lot of chirps throughout the episode. It's because the guests wanted to remain anonymous and we kept on messing up and saying their real names. So all those chirps are just us, or, or me, covering up those, those slip-ups. One note for context, this will probably be helpful if you've never, if you don't know about ATI or the training centers or those types of things. We talk about the cult's training centers a lot in the conversation. For context, when we were at the cults training centers their rules and directives extended past what we were to believe about god getting up in the morning going to bed when you ate what you ate who you were with and how you spent your time were all regulated at the training centers so when you hear us talking about the exceptions for the quote-unquote connected people keep in mind that that's the the difference the reality of the difference Um, of the rules and enforcement between the connected versus the unconnected. Um, Also, I mean, I'm not sure how much this matters, but 
from the parents' perspective on all of this, parents really didn't spend very much time at training centers. Uh, and as a kid, I didn't really, I mean, I didn't know what was not normal. So I, it's not like I told them everything that happened. Um, I don't know if they'd have been concerned if I had. Um, we were a very conservative household growing up. But anyways, just a note for all the talk about training centers in the, uh, in the episode. The uh, uh, polite disclaimer comes next. Um, if you don't like swearing or the occasional sexual innuendo comment, um, maybe skip this episode. Um, these guys are some of my oldest friends. We get, got to be friends in our teens. And some of our conversation kind of goes back to those years when we get together and chat. This is a long episode. It's a long conversation. I was tempted to cut it down to, as I was editing, you know, edit the conversation as well. We kind of circle around some of the topics. Um, I decided not to do that uh, and just keep it the way it came out. I mean, it is long, but I, I liked the way it kind of shows the reality of what it's like when a few friends have a honest conversation about things like this, um, or at least the way me and my friends do it. All right. So now that, now that I've done all those different things, we'll, uh, we'll get into the episode. same time um and <laughs> and it's also the first time i'm doing an interview virtually uh we are using some uh technology the people i'm interviewing are a couple of states away um and they we're not going to use their real names um we're going to refer to them as navy and khaki for reasons that probably will become evident at the beginning of, or sometime throughout this interview process. Um, so Navy, Khaki, thank you for being willing to do this. It's good to have you here. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here, Michael. <laughs> All right. So now that we've got the formalities out of the way, so the all three of us, just to get it out there right at the beginning, all three of us grew up in families that uh, we're part of a cult, um, or what has been purported to be by a lot of people, uh, as a cult now. And growing up, I don't really, I never considered it a cult. And even into adulthood, um, it, that, that term really didn't make sense to me. And I, I it's still sometimes interesting to me to like, I don't know. I, I don't know how to reconcile that that phrase, but I guess that'll be a good question for the two of you. Um, do you consider what we went through a cult? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I just Googled the word cult because you brought up like, what is the definition? And I mean, relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices re regarded by others as strange or sinister 
I think would sum up what we went through. And really, most most cults have to do with control. And, you know, everything I experienced was all about control. <clears throat> controlling how you looked, controlling what you said, controlling how you felt. Um, so absolutely, it was a cult. And, and that's why... Doesn't, doesn't oh, go ahead. It doesn't hurt to have a figurehead who is... Uh, has tons of allegations against him for sexual misconduct and all kinds of other things. I, I mean, that is the, the one of the key things within a cult is that you have this head leader that's taking advantage of his power. And I'll chime in. I was going to say that, uh, I mean, why our names are khaki and navy for this is that was the uniform you wore. You either wore navy and white or khaki and white, and that was the expectation is those are the only two colors that were acceptable when you were doing anything with the cult. So, Yeah, that was funny to me. It, it's still funny to me because growing up, like the other group of people uh, that wear navy and white are the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um and and we're like the other <laughs> Mormons. If uh, looking back at the time, uh, I I didn't really think too much of it as far as like wearing those clothes. I thought it was I just yeah it was a rule, so it doesn't really matter. What was the but isn't that earliest funny memory? How, how that was a rule and you didn't question it? It was a rule, so you just did it. That was yeah, that, you know, thank you for saying that. I mean, it was a rule. They told you to do it, and you did it because somebody that was more godly than you somehow knew better, and you just did it. I think it's hard, too, when you're just immersed in a culture for so long, and you're around all these other people that are in that same culture, that becomes the norm. I mean, and what happens really is that you look at the outside world and say we're better than you like that's how you justify it is saying that you know we're we're somehow holier than you or that we're you know we we're closer to god than you and everybody else is evil the the biggest thing with with what we went through is really everything was just black and white we never questioned there was no grays in anything it was just this is how it is, and this is how it isn't, and you just do it. Yeah, that definitely came through for me, was we are better. We are closer to God, and the... Our eyes are brighter. I remember that all the time. Yeah, there's a sparkle Look into your eyes. eyes, and there's a sparkle. Bill Gothard with those bright eyes. Yeah, okay, so let's, let's, let's name it. Let's get it out in the open here. So the cult we were a part of, uh, was started by a man named Bill Gothard, who uh, the history, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of the history of the the maturing of the cult, if you will, was Bill Gothard worked with inner city troubled youth in Chicago um, in his early life. And throughout this, all of this counseling and support that he gave to these troubled youth. He developed a, a curriculum called the Institute and Basic Life Principles, IBLP, 
um, which was a, a, when I got introduced to it by my parents, it was a week long uh, seminar that you went to in the evenings and then for all day on the weekends. And, um, and it was all the counseling stuff that Bill Gothard um, had learned, I guess. And that IBLP organization gave birth to another organization called, <laughs> the names are really funny to me now, um, Advanced Training Institute. <laughs> and first it was Advanced Training Institute of America, ATIA, but then it went global. And so that name didn't work anymore. So then it was ATII. But what's interesting is ATII never worked. So uh, it got cut down to ATI is what it felt like. Is that, how does that, my understanding of the history uh, and names match up with your guys's? Um, the only difference is I don't think it was with inner city because... I felt like there was a lot of uh, underlining racism in ATI, to be totally honest. Uh, it was all white people, mostly. Um, no, he started his campus teams. Like, he was he was just based on college campuses. And from oh, that, he expanded into the seminar. Are you sure? I, I was thought that he worked I'm on his wiki page right now, just to make sure I wasn't wrong, and that's what it says, so. Okay. What was the link with Chicago, though? Um, he might have started doing his stuff in Chicago because that is where his headquarters were, was near Chicago. Is he from there originally? Um, I mean, it doesn't have his date of birth or anything. It just has, like, where he went to school. He went to Wheaton College. I know he used to always talk about going to Wheaton College and things like that, so. Pacific okay. Garden Mission in Chicago, that's what it is, I think. Which oh, is visited yeah. plenty of times. That's very famous. They did that unshackled radio show for a lot of years. And I don't know. I didn't realize this. His dad was on the board of uh, CEF. Oh, really? Yeah. Bobby Fellowship is what that stands for. Yep. Okay. So just a quick reminder, you guys are Navy and Khaki. Oh. Uh, Why have we said our names yet? As we say in Wisconsin. Oh. 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 I, I don't think, Khaki, I don't think your name has been said, but Navy's name has been said. Yes. I'm Navy. Well, <laughs> um, okay. okay. I, well, I'll... I'll we'll, so, are you going to talk at all about his brother? Sorry? I mean, if you want to talk about his brother, you have more knowledge of his brother. His brother? No. Yeah, you... I mean, so, there's a couple of different ways we could do this. Yeah. Um... I don't want to put any guardrails on what we talk about or when we talk about it, because there's plenty to talk about. I do at some point want to get into like your memories as children. Um, I don't know when your parents joined, but when my parents joined ATI, um, I was young. I mean, I was definitely less than 10 years old when, when we joined that. And that was the homeschooling uh, version of, of, Bill Gothard's curriculum, ATI, was you joined as a family and you had this homeschool curriculum that you were a part of. It was basically like if you went to Institute Basic Life Principles, IBLP, and you wanted to be extra close to God, 
you could join ATI as a family. Um, you got to pay that fee though, man. That was important. Well, fees are important. So yeah. I want to talk about like our personal experiences as kids, but okay. there's, plenty of, let's, let's there's plenty of dirty laundry to air and we can do that now. We can do that later. Like, um, I, I don't, I, I don't think that is gonna, my goal is, is not to like, not to make this a, an expose. Cause I think if anybody listening to this wants to know about all the terrible things that have happened because okay. of ATI or yeah. Bill Gothard, like that's a quick, simple Google search. Anybody who's listening for the, to this, if you want to know that stuff, just, just do a quick Google search for ATI survivors or Bill Gothard, you know, um, that stuff is out there. Um, and I think there are a lot of salacious things that will probably need to be talked about just in our own personal experience of it. So for example, or, um, khaki. Navy. Um, That's no, but I wanted to talk to khaki, khaki. Oh, okay. Um, so you mentioned there was some like racism. I remember being at the, <laughs> even these names, the Indianapolis training center, which was, which was a place young people would go to get training um, if they were in this homeschool was, ATI group. Which uh, AKA was just free labor. Yeah. So I was at the, the counseling seminar. Did you guys ever do that? It was like the thing you would go to when you were 14, 15 years old. The men's, the boys seminar. Yep. And then it would be the women would do their seminar and yep. we would do our seminar. Yep. Yep. So I was at that and Bill Gothard was taking questions from the audience. And some kid, you know, 14, 15 year old kid in navy and white or khaki and white got up to the microphone and said, ask Bill Gothard, because that's what you did. What do you think about interracial marriages? And I was really shocked by his answer because it it seemed weird to me. Um, and his answer was, there's a lot of things going against couples to stay together in today's modern world. And that's just another thing. So it's best to avoid it. And it was just, it, it was weird to me because it wasn't like he was saying interracial marriage is bad or, or racism or anything like that. But he, it was like this, this, this like assumption that the uh, the the way the world works is too much and so we need to i mean that just seems strange to me and now my sister is married to a man who is half black and i'm very happy about that um but that like that seems more racist now that you mention that or uh khaki (laughs) 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 this is so terrible i know Um, well, why don't we start out? I mean, I can tell. I remember how we got involved. Oh goddamn, Navy! <laughs> We're just gonna have to edit this all and be like, yeah. Um, so I think I think I was because I was in sixth grade, right? And I remember my mom, like our mom had gone through all these different programs where she did Billy Graham and all these big trying to find herself that's what I felt like she was never happy with who she was. And so she was just constantly trying to find something to fill the void. And in sixth grade, um, 
I remember it, my my mom being the religious fervor that she had. I remember having to do an assignment where we had to do like a, a book report on the Greek gods, right? And even before we were in IBLP or ATI, she went to the teacher without me knowing and said, you have to, I don't want my son to do Greek gods because that's against our religion. I want him to write something about Jesus and the disciples. So I'm in a public school and my mother's intervening for me because she thinks it's the right thing. And she didn't like the things they were teaching. So she ran for school board and she, she lost. And that's when she made the decision to pull us all out of school and to start homeschooling us. Um, we, I think, uh, Kaki, um, do you remember, was it right away? Did we start right away with IBLP when we homeschooled or was there like a year where there was a whole bunch of other things that we did? And... No. So to jump off of that, I mean, our mom too was a teacher. Then she quit that to stay at home after I was born because we do have a, a another sibling who's younger. And I went through, I went to school through first grade, through sixth grade, and I, our other sibling didn't go to school ever. She's only known homeschooling. Um, but essentially, like, my our mom was always, yeah, she was jumping from one religious thing to another. She was raised Catholic, then she switched to something else. Even now, having my own kids, like, I had to be taught, like, what the hell the tooth fairy was, what does the Easter bunny do, what Thank does, man. who is Santa... Who's the difference between St. Nick's? I remember in school being that kid sitting outside with the uh, Jehovah Witness kid because we couldn't be part of the Halloween celebrations or any of that stuff. Every so then she we had, we had to be like sit in the library by ourselves because we couldn't be part of that. And I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So then what happened is she homeschooled us, I would say, for about f- four years before we got an ATI. But then, I mean, let's let's call it, it wasn't really schooling. She would just assign us chapters and different books and textbooks, and we were supposed to do it ourselves. I mean, that's what it was. And I can remember cheating quite a bit because I would find the answer keys and just do it that way just to get I it did done the same with. Thing. Yeah. Because she was always on to the next thing. She was always um, doing some after school thing or during the middle of the day thing. She. Do you remember the, do you remember the um, diets that we all had to do? The what? The diets, the diets that we all oh, had to yeah. do. Another mom would do a yeah. diet. And I, I don't want to turn this thing into our mom, but our mom was definitely attracted to that power dynamic in ATI. She wanted someone who has the answer. She wants that person to solve it for her. She wants to believe that what they have to say is right, and she'll just follow them. She, she definitely is one of those. Nowadays, if she didn't have religion, she'd be a conspiracy theorist, just believing like, oh, I know everything different than everyone else doesn't, and I have the answer. I think that attracted her to ATI. But how we really got involved in ATI was we were going to our our current our church at the time, which my parents had been the founders of or helped to found, and they had gone to one of the week-long seminars for IBLP where they went through all, you know, all of his curriculum that he created. And they, they came back, and the one takeaway was rock music was evil. You can't have a backbeat. You can't have any drums at all. So then they started taking on our church for having drums, and our church excommunicated us. I remember being, I don't know, 10, 
and we were excommunicated, and literally the elders of the church kicked my family out, and none of their kids or anything were allowed to talk to us. And we were been homeschooled, so that was our only friends. Um, and then my mom ran to Bill Gother to essentially get help through all that, and that's how we got more involved with ATI. Hmm. I don't know, Navy, if you have anything to add to that. Uh, well, and I think that do you, so do you remember kind of being set up? Can you hear me? Can you hear You're me? You're cutting in and out a little bit. I'm yeah, sorry. I can hear you. <clears throat> so do you remember the time where we went into church and my, our mother knew that they were going to play drums and they were going to have this, you know, as part of the, the worship service. So she made us all go to the front of the church sit down in the chairs in the front of the church and the church started and then as soon as the music portion of the of the church service started she made us all stand up in front of the whole church and walk out the back door and then we sat in the hall and waited till the music service was over and then came back in the church to make a point so in a lot of ways my parents used us as i don't know what would the word be like Pawns. They use us as political props for political their agenda. Props for what they wanted to do. So, and what and what was messed up is our own father listened to rock music. He smoked my whole life. Um, so basically, it was my mother leading the way, but basically forcing my dad to do it. And I feel like that was a dynamic in ATI quite a bit, where the woman was in charge, but they would claim the guy was the head of the household. No, it was very, um, never it was felt very male, male-centric or chauvinistic where the man was the head of the household and whatever he said went and women should be submissive. Uh, they encouraged all the, all the girls to wear, you know, if, if you were truly, you know, a, a good ATI girl, you would wear a head covering and you'd wear that jean skirt and you would be submissive to the man and whatever the man said went. And I think all along... Our mother wanted that from my dad. She felt like he didn't lead enough. And so this was a way for her to take control, but it was almost backhanded through, hmm. through ATI and through IBLP. Because do you remember the umbrella of protection analogy they used to always use? Yep, absolutely. If you need to be under that umbrella of a protection, and if you're out of it, then you're going to get hurt. So um, does, I, I know it too. One of you should walk through the teaching because it's a – it come like in the survivor groups, this comes up all the time is the whole umbrella of protection. And, and even those terms umbrella of protection comes up like over and over and over again. So some, either one of you, Navy or Khaki, take us through what is the foundational teaching of the umbrella of protection? Can, can I just also say I've been triggered. So, I don't know if it's just a giant backlash against my whole upbringing, but I am a public high school teacher. And in our in our language, we talk about standards and their umbrella standards. And every time they use that term, I just have a quick like mini flashback to the umbrella of protection. So the essentially, I mean, how I remember it, the umbrella of protection is the dad or the male figure, whoever that is in the household, and everyone who is supposed to uh, follow their leadership needs to obey them and be under that umbrella so they don't get wet. I don't know 
how getting so, wet so would hurt you, but like that's outside the umbrella. Yeah, it's it's acid rain that's going to destroy you. But it's that's God, nice. and then the father figure, and then the mother figure, and then it's the kids underneath, basically, right? Yeah. And you have to stay underneath that umbrella. And and see, this is the thing where maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but I always thought that there was this like hierarchical umbrella structure where the the family union was under the father's umbrella and then the father was under the pastor's umbrella and then the past like it kind of went up this chain i don't think that i would have to look it up i think it did because i think gothard was the top of that umbrella or sorry navy because i mean but even then like if a pastor didn't follow his teachings and he was out of the umbrella and if you and you were you were out on under his umbrella, you were fine because you were still under the bigger umbrella of Gothard, is how I interpret it. But there's also remember the the circle of protection or whatever, like you need to be protected. The other big one I always drove me crazy was the quiver full crap they used to pull, like have as many babies, have as many babies as possible, and drive a 15 passenger van because you know. That's that was a true sign that you were an ATI family, as if you rolled up with a uh, with a giant van. So can I can I just go back to the umbrella because I'm I'm actually looking at the the actual material that they had for it. And it says understanding the concept umbrella of protection. The umbrella of protection symbolizes the fact that as long as we are under God given authority, nothing can happen to us that God does not design for His glory and ultimate good. So in that right there, let's say that you are under God-given authority and that authority is abusing you, that authority is doing things that are inappropriate, then this is basically saying that God has, has given this to you and it's ultimately good. So it's, it's the ultimate brainwash, really. Um, and then it says it also illustrates the fact that when we get out from under authority, we expose ourselves to the realm and power of Satan's control. It is for this reason that, and then they go to quote scripture, because that is really that is really what Gothard was good at, was inputting his own words and then using scripture and pieces of scripture to back up what he said, even though it wasn't correct. So it says, it is for this reason that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And then a person who is involved in witchcraft has given himself over to Satan and his power. So once again, it's these extremes where, you know, you are, if you're not under that umbrella, then you've given yourself over to Satan and his power. Like, it, there's no gray in that. It's just black and white. Hmm. Yeah, this that, uh, that really sounds familiar, too, because, like, this is one of the other things that I think is is tricky for me to reconcile, is that a lot of the written stuff... There's a lot of scripture and there's a lot of things that sound pretty, you know, Plausible. Not, not terrible. Yeah. Not like you should make sure that if someone wants to take advantage of you sexually, you should let them as long as they're an authority figure. But that happened. That happened quite a bit. I don't know if you want to get into that, but I mean, I was at a training center where that Let's, was going on, on rampantly. On. So we gotta we gotta establish yeah. this now. We have these things called training centers. What are training centers? You go there and you work for free and they claim that you learn something. And they separated the boys and the girls from each other, but we're all hormonal and most of them wanted to, you know, 
find that person, but you weren't even allowed to do that because you had to court. And courting is different than dating in that you had to like write the dad and say, hey, I want to have permission to talk to your daughter. And you have to have someone present all the time when you're together. And yeah, it didn't. So I think the big thing that I saw, I was in ATI from 12 until I was 23 years old. At 18, since IBLP really pushed not to go to college, formal college, but to do alternative they college. Um, because college is bad. That's where you experience rock music and sexual activities and, you know, getting out from your parents' authority. And so everything they taught, college didn't really, the culture in college, except if you went to a Christian college, didn't fit that. And that's why they had all these alternative colleges, which you can speak to more. But at 18, I didn't know what to do. Like, you're not going to go to college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so... I ended up going and living in Arkansas, up in the, the Ozarks, in the log cabins, working with supposedly juvenile delinquents. And it, I saw so much do as I say, don't do as I do. And there were so many instances where if someone was the head of a training center and they had an in or they were related to somebody that was running something, whatever, they were able to do whatever they wanted. And there was a double standard for everyone else. There was um, lots of nepotism in ATI. And all those training center leaders had to kiss up to Gothard because if they lost the favor of Gothard, they'd lose their training center. Um, Oklahoma is a but good you started at Indi- you started out at Indianapolis first. You didn't start out at Arkansas. No, I went there for training kind of like the men's counseling, the, the men's thing that you were talking about, Michael. Um, I think I was there for two months and there was a lot of messed up stuff that went on when I was there. What they did they call those rooms where they, they forced yeah, those they, kids to stay in? So they had juvenile delinquents at Indianapolis and one form of punishment that they would give these kids and they're all minors uh, is they would have a, a, a quiet room where Basically, if someone misbehaved, they would take them to this room, and the room had uh, bars over the windows, and it had a lock on the outside of the door, and there was nothing in the room but a bed and a Bible. And they would take these kids and put them in the room and tell them that they had to read the Bible, get closer to God, and in a lot of instances, they would leave them in these rooms for you know, four or five, six days a week to try to break them into submission and, you know, uh, somehow follow the Gothard way or follow the things that they were doing. And I saw this time and time again at, when I was in Arkansas, uh, when we worked with juvenile delinquents, they wanted to wear these kids down to a point that they just gave up and gave in and would, you know, accept the religion. I can think of one instance, too, where we had a 16-year-old juvenile delinquent, and I, I forgot what he did. He said something wrong, and the director took this 16-year-old boy in front of probably 20 other boys, put him over his knee, and spanked him in front of everyone to teach him a lesson. He spanked a 16-year-old to teach him a lesson, and then gave him a quiet time afterward. There is so much abuse of power in that. It's 
yeah, it was. But at the same time, when you're in the program and you're following the things that they're telling you to follow, you see everyone else as bad or the enemy. And so when something like that would happen, you would, you've just been programmed to just accept that that's okay, that that's right. Well, give me some examples, uh, Navy, of like, what are some of the things that would be misbehavior by these juvenile delinquents? Uh, they would swear. Um, okay. They, I remember one time we walked, there was three of us and we walked down to get the mail and we came back and inside the mailbox was a, a brochure for Victoria's Secret. Nobody was naked. It was just women with bras on. And one of the boys took the envelope, opened it, and looked at the picture. Well, someone, it wasn't me, because uh, there was three of us. And that, that's the thing, too, with the way you were programmed was whoever the director was, wherever you were, you wanted their approval. Just like all these directors wanted Bill Gothard's approval to keep their, their job, you knew that if you got the approval of the director, your life would be much easier. So really in this scenario, in, in these situations, you'd have a lot of people that would tattle on one another or, you know, go and you, you never, you were always on edge because you didn't know, A, were you doing something wrong? And B, who was watching? Because it felt like there was eyes everywhere. But as we walked back, they took the Victoria's Secret thing, they threw it away, nobody knew about it. The other boy told the director that he went and looked at it and the this kid got quiet time or lockdown for um, like three days for looking at a Victoria's Secret mailing. So it was just little things like that. And you got so conditioned that a lot of times a lot of the boys would just go tell on themselves because they didn't want someone else to tell on them. They would rather get in front of it if they did something wrong. The, the whole thing with the way I BLP worked was it was a lot of it was just based on guilt, always feeling guilty uh, about everything that you did and never feeling, you know, like you were good enough or you did enough. So, yeah. And I, I'll jump in. So I was the other side. I learned how to hide in plain sight. In ETI, basically, I did what I wanted. But I was very good at projecting like I was obedient and did what I was told to do. Like, I can't remember a single time in my whole life that I stopped listening to rock music because that was the only way that I kept my mental health. Because I even remember at home, I would, uh, I would, you know, my brother, and he'll probably yell at me for this, but he would, if he got caught listening to rock music, he would cave and confess everything and give up all of his tapes and everything else. And here's me, because I would record tapes off the radio like you did in the old days. And here is me. I'd be like, oh, yeah, here are my tapes. I guess I was doing it, too. But I would give her back her own her own Christian tapes. Just I relabeled them, and she'd burn her own tapes and never know that I hadn't given her the real ones. Every night, my brother and I shared a bunk bed. Every night, I listened to the Walkman. I listened to the radio to go to sleep. Um even when I was at the training centers one time, I went with a buddy and we went to a Vans Warp Tour in Detroit. When we got back, we were sunburned. We just lied about where we had been. And we said, oh, we were outside playing football all day, blah, blah, blah. I learned how to hide in plain sight. I think that was the biggest thing that ATI taught me. And that was the other side, is you had to figure out who those people were. Because they were the, the very straight and narrow, who basically would... It, 
so normally this is what would happen. So I'll give an example. So I was at Verity, which is at Flint, Michigan. I was in one of the original classes there. And I can remember that the leader had busted some kids who went to a movie theater nearby. And so they gave the typical speech like, you know what's wrong in your heart and God will find you out and you should confess. And the next morning you'd have a line of people outside his door to go confess everything they had done bad since they'd been in the program. And you'd figure out, okay, those are people I'm going to avoid because they're going to rat people out. And you'd figure out who to trust, which was very hard in ATI to find those people you could trust who you could be normal around but they also weren't going to give up your secrets. So, yeah, I can remember, I definitely can relate to the idea of like feeling like you were saying Navy of you were never good enough. There was always something to feel guilty or ashamed about. And that, that is definitely an unhealthy thing that in some ways is still with me. And I'm 36 years old now. So my, my question to you then is as an adult, and, and I can speak to this myself, have you, has it flipped? Because I almost became, a, I, I just got so burnt out with everything I went through that I didn't feel guilty about anything. That I learned to be, like lying became a lot easier. Because I was like, all this time I, you know, I, I felt like crap over nothing. Like it was all just smoke and mirrors and this feeling and as an adult, you almost just feel numb because of what you went through. Yeah, I, uh, I can relate to that too, um, of having a ver- very, um, uh, like a, uh, a pretty unstable moral compass. I mean, and that's, that's, that's been, that's it, I, like, I don't think that that's necessarily like uh, a constant you know, there have been periods of my life where it's been more unstable and more stable, but certainly I I can identify or relate to what you're saying that, you know, like in for a penny, in for a pound, (laughs) like, (laughs) you know, like you can't win. So you might as well just burn that barn down. But I also felt like when I was done with the ATI, it was really hard to unbrainwash yourselves. It took me a long time to figure out what normal is. I mean, normal can be defined as whatever, but like just the fact that not everyone thought the exact same way was eye-opening half the time. And to go back to what I said earlier about how special treatment, I know when I was at Flint, I mean, there was uh, a woman in charge of the training center, which was highly unusual because, again, ATI was very patriarchal in that it reminds me a lot, again, being a teacher now, Confucianism, it's, it's very patriarchal. That's how, you know, you obey the person that's an authority. But how she had her kids there, and basically she would just sweet-talk the ass off of Gothard whenever he came there, and so he listened. But her own kids just ran rampant and did tons of stuff that would have got anyone kicked out years ago, and, th- and everyone knew they were doing it. For example? Uh, having sex with students there, um, drinking... So this training center, how many stories was it? it used to be a hotel, because I was twelve there. or thirteen. Yeah, thirteen stories. I don't know how many rooms, um, but yeah, he had free reign of. So I, I remember turning twenty-one, and it's, I was probably four months into twenty-one, and I I still hadn't drank, 
Like, I hadn't drank when I was 18, didn't drink when I was 19. So her son, the younger one, uh, had gotten a hold of some woodchuck, which is like hard cider. And he said, let's go drink. And he was underage. And so I was like, okay. At the training center. At the training center. I'm like, okay. I'm yeah, he was off. what, like 18? Yeah, he was probably 18. I was 21. I'm like, okay. I'm he just knew off. you would be down to go drink? Like, he's taking such a risk. Oh, well, he No, be- because he's uh, he knew he could get away with it. He, he was he untouchable. Whatever he wanted to. Um, just like in the computer room, there was gay pornography that was being watched, and they couldn't figure out who it was. Guess who it was? Uh, it was her other son. It was her older son who was doing it, and he never got caught. But we went up to the roof, uh, 13 stories. I drank one hard cider, okay? Next day, I get approached by the director from Arkansas who happened to be there and accused me of drinking on the property. And when there's only two people, and I didn't tell on myself, who else told on us? Uh, So he, it was another example of him doing whatever he wanted, and then if he would get caught or something would happen, he would leverage getting other people in trouble to save himself. It was was just a bad situation. And I remember this same kid when I was at Verity, literally it became a big thing because I had warned some other people going there, watch out for this guy. He can do what he wants, but he will rat you out. If you do it, avoid him. He's not good. You know, he's just not good. And then it came out over the summer that he had been having sex with one of the girls of Verity Verity on the regular. And when the leader of Verity at the time confronted him and Gothard, the woman and her kid did not get in trouble. He got rid of the leader of Verity because he was questioning his authority. Um, And he was removed from there. And then I got in trouble because they're like, they found out I had warned some other students to stay away from this kid. And they're like, well, if you knew something, why do you say it? And I remember flat out saying, because he's the son of the director, nothing will happen to him. Why would I do that? And they, they couldn't, I mean, they couldn't do anything about it because they knew I was speaking the truth. That's just how it was. And if someone was somehow marked as in favor of Gothard, there's really nothing anyone could do to, like, it was an abuse of power. I, so I was sent to Australia. Um, I worked in Arkansas for four years, went home for a brief period, and uh, I got the call. Hey, you want to go to Australia? We have a training center there. And I was like, yeah, that's great, this opportunity to go. So I got my ticket, and I went over, and supposedly they were supposed to have this log cabin program set up, which was going to work with juvenile delinquents, and that's what so I So exactly what you had just been doing kind of thing. So I land, and I get there. And I find out that they own the property, but there's no buildings on the site, no nothing. There, there was no program. So we stayed on this. It, was, it used to be a golf course, um, but it was like a five acres in Australia, in Melbourne. Um, and I took over a position for uh, uh, publications director or something. I, I shipped in materials and did book fairs and things like that. Well, the, the people that were that were running the training center before, they basically got kicked out because they were misusing funds. They were doing a lot of shady things. They were 
there was just a lot of things going on. So they brought in this other director. A year, eight, eight months, nine months went by that I was there. And somehow this, the former director wanted to come back and get his job back. And Bill Gothard thought that was a good idea, even after he took him out of the position. So they brought this guy back in and they basically what happened was I had traveled a little bit and went and visited a friend and I met this girl through a church and I, I thought, you know, something, she was nice and we hung out. So when I got back to the training center. And you're a full grown man. You're like 23 years old. Or 23, 24. I decided I'm going to email her and do a correspondence. I sent her an email and somehow they intercepted it because they were looking at everybody's emails going in and out of the training center. And I didn't write anything appropriate. I just said, Hey, it was nice being with you. And you know, I forgot what all was said, but the next day I was approached and so the director of the training center in Arkansas that I was with for four years, five years, um, he had flown over to help reinstate this other director. And I was excited to see him because I looked at him as like a father figure. You know, you always wanted his approval. He, he was a person that you looked up to and wanted to, you know, get to like you. And when I was there, he approached me and accused me of emailing this girl. And I said, I only emailed her once. Like, he's like, it's inappropriate. And we are choosing to kick you out of the training center because you sent this email to this girl. Um, the real reason was because I didn't accept this new director and there's a whole bunch of other people leaving. Uh, but the short of it was I got kicked out of the training center and I got stranded in Australia with no way home and no ticket home because I had a return ticket for the certain date. I ended up living with this uh, Mennonite family in their attic for two months before I was able to get a ticket home. And that was the last straw. Like this man that I looked up to that I thought was, you know, like a father figure to me, he completely kicked me out of the training center and left me stranded in Australia and no way home, never followed up with me, never did anything. And I had to figure my own way home. And that was like it. I was like, this is all bullshit. You know, everything I thought was great isn't. And um, that was a huge turning point for me. You said something in there that, that struck me. The, the man who you looked up to, um, you'd spent five years with him. I mean... And I, I, my parents wanted me to uh, consider doing what you did, living at the Eagle Mountain Training Center in, uh, in Arkansas to help troubled youth. And so I spent three weeks there. That was, they wanted me to spend three weeks there to, um, you know, evaluate that as an opportunity. And I never really thought about it until just now, but... Eagle Mountain Training Center was a man and his wife and his oldest son, and then a whole bunch of uh, young men 
that were, you know, 21 years or younger. Um, and that was it. Like there was one older man. There's no gay stuff going on. If that's what you're implying, it wasn't like that. No. Uh, I, I wait think... a second. So I was there for a month, which I could barely stand for a month. And the guy you lived with is definitely gay. He was closeted gay. Yeah, the guy that the guy that snapped and they found him in a hotel room because he wandered off the property drunk with a twelve pack of beer. That guy. Yeah. Yeah. He snapped. He's definitely gay. Yeah. Which. Now, who cares? But back then, that was like, oh my god, that would—that was like the worst thing ever in ATI. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't mean it that way. I meant it more like, why wouldn't you want to have other families there? Like, why? Why was the program to rehabilitate the troubled youth? This was the program. You lived in a log cabin with two good boys, and the bad boy would learn how to be a good boy from the bad boys. Why wouldn't you want? Like this is boys, boy. Uh, there's another program, and I forget what it's called. But the troubled youth live with a a, a woman, a, a husband and wife. Like they integrate into a family. And I never really thought about that until just now. Uh, it wasn't part of ATI. I'm talking about something completely different. Okay. Um, but like the idea that young people should be the counselors and the the role models of somebody who's in trouble with the law like and there's only one adult couple in the on the entire campus but that That's adult could weld, could weld supreme power he was a god he was a god on that mountain whatever he said went whatever he wanted to do and he was a narcissist like to the point that he thought nothing he did was wrong like he was always right and he was put on this pedestal like a god figure and and i was gonna can i butt in yeah so talking about all that as well and going back to how training centers were free labor i mean which eagle mountain are we talking about because i mean most people don't know and you do know there was two right there was the one that they started where they got free land from a guy but he actually owned it as soon as he bought, you guys made all the cabins, he kicked everyone off of it, he retook everything, and then he would rent out the cabins and make money, yep. and then they had to go Whoa. to another property. Whoa. Is that correct? How I, I that, mean, the short version? But... There was a falling out between the, uh, yeah, the, the, the farmer, or the guy that owned the property, and um, the director, and so we had to pack up literally within a week and move everything over this other property. And all that was on this property was a house. And so we lived in this house, all these guys, and it was a small house while we were building all these other cabins. But he would also wield his power where he wanted, there was, he, had, he had friends that was in the local town that was the sheriff. He would send us out to go door to door to campaign for this sheriff that he wanted to be in power because he was favorable to the mountain. So there was all this political stuff where he would use us not only to, I mean, for five years, I was a Mason. I built chimneys. I built walkways. It was a lot of hard work. I did, you know, I, I learned things, but at the same time, there was points where I remember standing on scaffolding three stories in the air thinking, if I fell right now and broke my leg, would I get to go home? Would this be it? Because I hated it. But 
the Godhead, the the umbrella, every time I would say, I don't want to go back there, I don't want to do this anymore, I want to move on with my life, my father would step in and say, no, this is where you're supposed to be, this is where God wants you, and my brother and I are on different levels, because my parents have apologized for these things, and admitted they were wrong, and saw that wrong, and in some ways I've accepted that, I can't can't ever forget what happened it doesn't stop me from being triggered by a lot of things that that happen now but i feel like i can forgive them for it you know and i on the other hand haven't talked to my parents in what four years five years no almost actually almost six because i don't think they've really ever they knew my daughter when she was one but like i for me, I feel like I have a better memory. Um, not to bash you, Navy, no, I, at all, I... but like I feel like I have a better memory. And so for me, it's very hard because I was, I always felt like I was the middle kid. I was always a black sheep. I kind of did what I wanted, and I again I learned how to hide in plain sight. But I feel like my mother especially and had a lot of tendencies that attracted her to the cult, and even though they might have apologized for that. There were still things they were doing with my kids. So they were pushing like Jesus books with my kids and they were doing things with my kids without telling me. Um, and that's finally when I, uh, one day I'd asked my dad to watch my kid just to like, Hey, I need to watch my kid. I got to run out somewhere. And I come home and he's outside smoking and he left my kid sitting in a high chair in like two rooms away. Um, couldn't hear him or anything. That was a big trigger. Uh, another time, my son was like, hey, remember that time I rode in the back seat in the car with my with grandma? And I was like, what are you talking about? And then I called them and I found out that they had gone for a walk uh, probably a good four or five blocks away. It started to rain. My dad went to pick them up in the car and there was no car seat, no nothing. They She got them in the car, brought them back home, and they never told us about any of that which was illegal. You have to have a kid under a certain age in a car seat. And that really set me off because here they're always about, you know, protection and being authority. And they never listen to anyone or listen to any authority other than themselves ever. So yeah, I just, I had to cut it off because I could see them starting to do the same shit that they had done with me. And I wasn't going to let that happen. And that's how I feel. I know, I know my brother feels differently and that's his experience. And I, but I mean, for me, I always questioned what was going on. I always, you know. So let's speak a little. I always bit. thought it was bullshit. So, can I think? I think there's an important thing here too. Where, so remember the conversation that you and I had about going to church, based on what we went through, and the feeling of being. I triggered. don't specifically remember it, but. But do you remember uh, just being triggered by certain things? Oh yeah, going. Nowadays, I mean, going to church. It tri- a lot of stuff is triggered because it just is. I that that's the hardest thing for me now is we were so infiltrated with so much. I mean, we had to memorize books of the Bible, and even the little thing I wrote uh, that I read about the umbrella of protection, how Gothard was so good at taking little bits of scripture and putting them where he wanted them to make it sound like whatever he said was right. And so when I sit in church and I listen to a sermon, 
it just it 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 triggers me and I analyze everything that's said it makes it, it makes me feel so uncomfortable like if there's so many things in life that happen to me now that bring back how awful it was growing up within ATI and so it just makes a lot of anything to do with religion at this point I don't know what to believe you you walk away confused because everything you've been told is really a lie and so you don't know what to believe and so you end up just not believing anything yeah and for me I mean I came out of a questioning authority and you know it's the opposite they want you just to obey it and I question everything because yeah like like Navy you said I, I I pick apart everything and I when a when a pastor preaches I will literally go in the Bible and read exactly what the wording says because of how much Gothard always manipulated everything the big one for me I remember years ago is like because if you remember the homeschooling books in ATI were all based on the Sermon on the Mount so they take one verse from the Sermon on the Mount and all of a sudden make this giant wisdom booklet is what they call them and it, it revolved around that one verse if and I remember you would do that wisdom booklet for like a month or something. If I yeah, remember. yeah, 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 and it was crap. It didn't teach you anything. Like I walked away not knowing algebra. I walked away not knowing chemistry. I don't know physics. I don't know. Um, I have such a hole in my education, and part of the time I totally fake it. I just oh I yeah I wasn't very good at that in school is what I'll say to people, because in my profession most people have no idea what my background is most people have no idea i was ever homeschooled because i just don't want them to know because the opinion of homeschoolers is just like we are i mean it's pretty it's pretty accurate actually um you know we're anti you know we don't know how to socialize we don't know how to do all this stuff i mean as we get older we learn how to do it but when you're that age like i'll have kids now who come to my public school that are that were homeschooled and they are very dysfunctional they don't know they they're they're not they're not socially uh, they're socially awkward and i guess i don't i mean i don't want to go down that road but that's my experience because i know michael with you i mean you guys homeschool your kids so i don't want to at all bash anything but for me that's what i've seen but i wonder what the percentage is of people that actually that were homeschooled actually homeschool their kids like i would say it's probably high because our doesn't our siblings still homeschool no oh she doesn't she doesn't no she, her kids go to regular school the one who's they go to a public school yes yes okay i didn't know that but why it's so funny that you say that too because i have this shame and it's not even just about homeschooling it's about the fact that you homeschooled in a cult you know what i mean yeah. it's like the double kicker where you hide the you hide the first that was 24 years of my life and it's almost like i try and hide 24 years of my life from anyone i know because it wasn't good it hurt it was sucked i know when i met my wife i mean when when i started dating you you it was very i watched what i said you couldn't give out you had to give out information about our our childhood, our experiences, very slowly. You and gave small them out chunks. little small pieces. 
because you felt like you were going to scare that other person off by telling And I would have. My my wife now says if I would have laid all this out in front of her, she probably would have ran away because it's messed up. It's not it's not your normal American childhood experience at all. Now, how do you feel that your because I can speak to this too, but how do you feel what you went through? How did that change how you raise your kids or the perspective you have with your kids? So for me, the most important thing to me is being a dad because the biggest thing from my experience in ATI is you listen to authority, but your parents didn't really get to know you because I don't, I mean, my experience, I don't think only parents ever really knew me and they never tried. I can't remember any, like if I went outside to play, it was always by myself or with one of my siblings. My parents never really did much with us. Remember not at all. And they would, they would put food in front of you and make you sit there for hours Uh because you wouldn't eat the food they put in front of you and they wouldn't let you leave the table. And I remember, I remember there was a time they'd make us get up at four in the morning to do Bible study before my dad went to work. Um, so I mean, I, for me, everything's about my kids. I do spoil my kids. I do send my kids to one of the most expensive and best schools in my state. And I sacrifice a lot to make sure that they get what I didn't have because I want them to have a good education. Cause I always think if I actually had gone and got a regular education, what, what could I have accomplished? But there was a lot of stumbling blocks put in my way. I feel like by my parents that I had to overcome on my own. And so there's only so far I could get with, with what I had. I, I, I mean, that's at least how I feel. And I can remember my dad, because again, I don't talk to him, but I remember um, another trigger for me, and Michael, you had asked for specifics, was he literally told me that I spend too much time with my kids and I care too much about my kids. And I couldn't believe he said, I couldn't believe he said that to me because that was the exact opposite of what I had. And so me growing up, to me, education is extremely important because I don't feel like I had the best chance. I agree. I feel like I would have been a lot further along or have a better career or been something different if I hadn't have gone through what I went through. I felt like it held me back from the potential I could have had. And ATI also puts this bullshit of you work hard, you have good character, you'll get ahead in life. Well, kind that's of not how the world works. That's not how the world works. Work I mean, it just isn't. Money. Yeah. Are you breaking up? I said kind of like the American dream where if you work hard enough, then all of a sudden you can become rich. It's bullshit. Yeah, but that's American dream is a myth. It's not based on any reality. So I understand, but what you're talking about is a myth too. I know. I know it is. I mean, I think the one of the big takeaways is I do work hard. I think that's maybe the one thing. I mean, I do have a good work ethic, but, but that's because you were forced to. You had but to. You worked for free for like... 20, I know how many years of our lives because you felt like you were doing the greater good by you remember all the times we used to drive down to headquarters in Chicago on the weekend and sort books. volunteer volunteer yeah. we did that twice a month because somehow that was going to get us closer to God I'm really not sure um, well but my mom also um, so we were also involved in the what the children's versions of the IBLP curriculum yeah, 
I remember doing a ton of those. And I remember at one point, my mom was basically banned from ever coming to the one with us because she was trying to live vicariously through us. Yeah. She was always trying to push this because she wanted to have a good name. She wanted people to notice her. She wanted to feel important. And so from this, I mean, at a certain point, like at Indianapolis, at Flint, at some other places, I don't know about you, but I was in that inside click. I could get away with some things that most other people couldn't because I knew people there. Because, um, Michael, you, you you'd mentioned those, those men's seminars. When I went to them, I could come and go as I pleased in the back because I knew everyone who was guarding the door to make sure you couldn't leave. I'd be like, oh, yeah, all right, go. And I could get away with that shit. Um, it was an unwritten rule. I think that's an important point of what this cult was is how did that make you feel? Like you knew people and you could work your way up and you could get closer to Gothard. Do you remember going to Chicago when we were at, um, at headquarters and – Gothard called us out as a family and talked about how brave we were for walking out of that church service that I mentioned yeah. earlier. Like, oh my God, that my mom, my mom, that was probably the greatest moment at that point because this demi demigod had given her credit for doing something that was, you know, that was, that was great. And you always wanted to get the approval of everybody above you because you knew your life would be easier, that you would be able to get away with things, that you'd be able to do more. But just like a cult, in a snap, it could be gone. Five years, at, in a, you know, knowing that guy in Australia, and it's gone. I mean, that was that's the reality of this cult as well. And we even talked about, like, I remember at Flint, like, if you wanted to get a proposal through to Gothard, if you wanted him to listen to what you were doing, you always would pick the most attractive girl in the group to be your <laughs> spokesperson. Cause that was the only way he would listen because he would fall asleep in meetings all the time, well, but he would always push. I'm going to get up early and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, get up. If you get up super early in the morning, then you're a, you're a religious person. You know, which screwed over night owls like me because, like, I would rather stay up all night and sleep in in the morning. But then the guy would get up at, what, three or four in the morning, but he couldn't last. He would fall asleep during meetings talking to people. So literally, you would pick the most attractive girl and say, okay, here are the talking points. Go and do this because then he would pay attention. Um, and as we know now, I mean, there's how many allegations against him. I know just recently they're still going through the court system in Illinois and Cook County. Um, with what some of the shit he pulled. Well, let's get some of that out, I guess. I mean, so Bill Gothard, leader of this big, huge group of homeschooling families, has no children of his own, not married, has, has built a organization where court systems are are putting juvenile delinquents into the program's care and rehabilitation. He has, you know, some families who run the training centers, some families who revere him as a demigod. Uh, young people ages 15 to 24 working in his training centers for free who are not allowed to email each other or have relationships with each other. So he's not a homeschooler himself. He has no wife. But one of the things that you pointed out was he always had assistance to help him. 
and uh, his assistants were always um, women, um, young women who were in that 15 to 24 year old age group. And this is like, you know, 50, 60 something year old man, right? Yeah. And what, where, what's going on now? Well, first of all, how many, how many training centers have gone under? I know for a fact that Eagle Mountain, the, the director moved back to Texas. There was a young man there named Austin that was his right-hand man. And right now it is a campground where people can go and camp and stay in the cabins and stay on the property. So I don't think it does ideal peace. Flint was sold. Flint was sold to the Michigan campus across the street. Okay. Indianapolis is now a culinary uh, art school. Okay. Like you go there to learn, you know, cooking. I don't know some of the other training centers, but that was usually an MO. We'd, we'd fix up these training centers, make them look nice, and then he'd turn around and sell them for a profit. Right. And this was also part of the issue is I remember he was always big about, you know, saving money. And he'd always boast about he drove the same damn car for how many years. That car was more expensive to fix up and maintain than if he would just bought a damn new car. It was all a lie. It was all a sham. So we had training centers in Dallas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Michigan, Indianapolis, Upper Michigan, and Chicago. There's three in Arkansas, by the way. No? Eagle Mountain, Eagle oh, yeah. Springs, and then they're fixing up that weird hospital. That hospital that we went and worked at, that's another, that's eight. Yep. Um, and then they had Australia. And the Oak Brook one. Nine. Yeah, I said that. Is that all of them? They had one in Moscow. Yeah, I don't Russia. Know. So it'd be like 10. So I think it was nine or 10 total training centers. And these are huge. Oh, they got one in Texas too. Sandy, yeah, Sandy Dallas. something. Oh, that was another one? Yeah. Okay. I guess just as context, like how big this organization was at, at one point. I mean, there was at least 11 or 12 different training centers. Huge and these were former hotels or yeah, like 13, conference yeah, centers. Like these were pretty massive right. things. And at least Flint, it was an abandoned uh, Radisson. I think it was. It was downtown Flint, Michigan, and city council sold it for a dollar um, because they just wanted tax revenue out of it. And it it was an old, you know, eyesore. Yep. Um, I I so these were like. I would probably replaced 50 toilets in that building. That was, <laughs> that was my job for like months on end was pulling old toilets and installing new ones. That was fun. And did you get paid for that? Oh, yeah. God paid me. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Or something. No. Never paid. Yeah. I mean, it does. It. I can definitely look back on it now and see like this is one of the things that was trippy for me was you know in in ati i never really felt like it was messing me up that much like i you and i got to be friends because of the program um because of that trip we took to taiwan it was a mission trip we were there to teach children about god um and but they weren't strict in taiwan at all that family was very loose they didn't really follow a lot of the guidelines that you were supposed to at every other training center. That's why it was a fun experience. I'll take that. 
I got free college um, from the Taiwanese government, probably due to that trip. So like there are some benefits at the training centers. I remember one thing that that happened every year was the Knoxville, you know, homeschool meeting. Knoxville um, bust. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And you'd like see the other 15 passenger vans on the way down at the rest stops and they'd have ATI bound in their window and you'd be like, oh yeah, cool. And that's one of the things that I think the sociological aspect of it, right? There was in and an out and it was very clear and distinct who was in and who was out. But I, but I feel like the further you fell down the rabbit hole, the more you saw was wrong. But at the same time, the more people you met. So when you went to those things, I remember at Knoxville, you know, the second or third year in, we would run around and do whatever the hell we wanted. And it was a fun day where our parents thought we were in a session and we'd be running around town doing whatever the fuck we wanted. And I can remember dads would try to stop us like, oh, you can't leave. I'm like, you're not my parent. What are you going to do? Call the cops? Call the cops. And we'd walk past them. And again, I'm different. I was always kind of like, I did what I wanted and just. But that, that's the difference when you have. So here's the thing. You had how many people would attend that event? Would you say? Michael? Thousands. Thousands. Thousands and thousands. So on the surface, you have all these families that don't go down the rabbit hole. That everything on the surface looks perfect and good and it's wholesome and this is great. And that is what funded all the things that we saw by going down that rabbit hole. Like on the surface, it didn't, it, you know, it, okay, we're going to follow God and we're going to do this and that. But then it's like when you really dug deep into what this was, it was messed up. And if they didn't have all the thousands that were just on that surface level that were just buying the curriculum and doing the homeschooling on their own at home, they would have never been able to acquire the buildings and do all the things that they were doing. You know which one we forgot? The North Woods one. And I just remember that because you had referenced his brother earlier and we never talked about that. Yeah, but we can Google that. That's all good. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, if you want to, we can do it. Like this... It's, it's like okay. There's some irony that Bill Gothard is being accused of the same stuff that his brother was accused of and got kicked out of the ministry for. Like there's irony in that. Yes, there is, and and I don't think it stops with them. Like it, it definitely feels like it feels very similar to me. The what's happened within the Roman Catholic Church and priests. Um, you know, like these, I don't know how to reconcile all this, but human drive, sexual drive is a healthy thing. And I think that amen, brother. it's, what's that? I said, amen, brother. <laughs> and, and I mean, when that is put into jeopardy over and over, and it seems like religion is often the thing that puts it in jeopardy, at least in the stories I've heard over and over. And this is true inside and outside of ATI but I see it a lot in controlled environments, right? Uh, where if the sexual drive is threatened or squashed in some way, then the situation looks okay, but it, 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 um, it devolves into a, a place where there are, they're not, there's not two consenting sexual partners. There's a victim and a perpetrator. Um, and there's families 
there's fallouts. And I mean, I know people inside and outside of ATI where it was a, you know, a godly family and the man had an affair. I mean, that one of the churches I grew up in after I stopped, we, I was grown, we weren't, you know, different town. I found out that they had covered up a, uh, there was a man they knew who had a, a history of abusing children and they let him do some things in the children's ministry and they found out he had abused some kids there and they covered it up and didn't well this the same thing happened with women throughout ati anytime a woman was sexually assaulted because i'll just call it that's half the time what it was they covered it up they would yeah. say that it was their fault or they would come up with some excuses I know somehow my mom growing up as well found the one church that was super ATI as well. We would drive an hour to go to church one way. So it was a two hour drive on Sunday to go there and back. And that that pastor is still on the board of directors for ATI. Um, he's still involved. And when there was a situation in our church where one of the ladies was sexually assaulted by another guy in the church, they completely covered it up and they blamed her that she had been asking for it, that she had done this and that. And and so it just, it, it continues to happen. I mean, and, and the other shit that always bothered me is if you had wealth, you were also treated different in ATI. Hmm. If you, if they, if they knew your family had money, I mean, I can think of that one kid at Eagle Mountain that had like his own truck and could do whatever the hell he wanted. When we were at Eagle Mountain, there was a, a there was a guy who was a, very wealthy dentist and he was out of Georgia and he wanted his, he felt his son was too, you know, he wanted to tame him. So he thought that Eagle mountain would be a good place to do this. Tame that wild. Not only was Eagle mountain for juvenile delinquents, it was also for ATI bad kids (laughs) who had never been in trouble with the law. (laughs) So this, this father gave a large sum of money and kept donating to Eagle mountain to help fund it. And sent his son there. Well, his son got to come, and he was a good old boy. I, I didn't mind him, but he got to bring his. He was truck. a nice guy. I have nothing against him. But no, but he was he, definitely allowed to do. He, smoked, he swore. He chewed. He could take his truck and leave the mountain anytime he wanted to. Go do whatever the hell he wanted to. He had free reign to do anything he wanted to do. Why? Because his dad had money and gave it to Eagle Mountain and was a large donor. So in that, it was never about principle or standing up for uh, what we believed. It was about who's going to give us the most money. And, you know, we're going to appease this kid for this dad because he's going to spend money on us. He's going to donate and then hopefully send him back happy. That was the that was the whole mentality. So being in quarantine right now and watching tiger king on netflix like everyone else that show triggered me a little bit because it reminded me a lot of ati without all the hillbillies um just wrap it around religious stuff and it's all about image it's all about what can we get but we're gonna wrap it in this like this is good you know in that one in that show it's all about oh this is good for the tigers and in ati oh it's good for the kids but you know They'll come out of this with better character and they'll get good jobs and all this bullshit that never, it never was going to happen because it was all lies. I, I think for me going through all this really, I think there's three, three ways 
people can walk away from this and, and their childhood and, and being in a cult. It is, are we going to accept what, you know, what, what we were told and what we believe and be super conservative and see things black and white? That, that's one viewpoint. The other thing would be reject everything and go wild and be, okay, fuck it all, fuck society. I'm just going to be a rebel and going to reject everything because it's all a lie. And I feel like going through what I went through has really made me see that life isn't black and white. Like, there's not always a right and wrong. Life is about moderation. Life is about, there are sometimes there's gray areas and you have to make a choice. And not everything has to be right and wrong. Sometimes it's just a choice, if that makes any sense. It does. And the other thing to tack on to that for me is, I am a public school teacher in a very urban, large district. I work with a very diverse group of kids, and I never saw that diversity in ATI, not once. The different cultures, the different social economic statuses, the different types of relationships that kids have. You know, I've had families that have, there's one dad and there's, there's three different moms for each kid. You know, each kid has a different mom. And in ATI, that was like, oh, that's awful. That's bad. But it works. It's it's live and let live to a certain extent. And we were never taught that. Everything in ATI was very much like there's only one perspective. This is the only way you're going to interpret it. This is what you have to do. If you don't do this, you're going to go to jail. You're going to live a terrible life. You're going to abuse your children or you'll be abused. Like it was either this very, very, very straightforward path to harmonious, wonderful life or all chaos and mayhem would break loose. I definitely, I definitely got that. Can I go back to that quote? Cause this is straight from ATI that when we get out from under authority, we expose ourselves to the realm and power of Satan's control. It is for this reason that it is the sin of witchcraft. A person who is involved in witchcraft has given himself over to Satan and his power. It is the extreme. Either it's God or Satan. That is it. I'll never forget that Gothard, and I don't know why this just popped in my head. You couldn't go to the movies because people went to movies to have sex. <laughs> that was his viewpoint, and there was no other reason you would go to a movie <laughs> at all, ever. You and I are not going to a movie together anytime soon, okay? <laughs> I, I hope not. <laughs> Well, even at Eagle Mountain, remember, the only movie at Eagle Mountain was the movie Gettysburg, but they bleeped out every single swear word, yep. which and is Martin, like half the movie. And Martin Luther from 1942, black and white. That Those are the two movies we got to watch constantly. So your childhood, um, both of your childhoods have made it hard to go to church because uh, it sounds like not necessarily that everything that they're saying at church is the same, but it's close enough that it's, it's, there's a lot of triggers there. Was that, is that fair? Yes, that's fair. I've only started going back to the church, but I only help, uh, in my daughter's, uh, children's ministry. I don't actually attend any of the services. Okay. So it's kind of the deal I worked out with my wife. She'll go to the services with my son. I'll take my daughter to the, uh, to the child program and I help with it. And that works for me. At least I'm helping and 
but I but but that's also hard is I'm I'm married to a woman who is religious and she wants to be religious and mm-hmm. I got to balance what she wants with with my trauma to be honest and how I deal with my trauma. I'm I'm divorced. Um, there's a lot of things that went into that, but part of it was I got married at 25, right out of all the things that we were doing. Twenty-four, I got kicked out of Australia. Or twenty-three, I was still dealing with things. I probably presented myself more religious than I was. But as time went by, it became harder and harder to swallow what I felt was a lie. And I'll be honest, at this point, I'm I'm agnostic. I don't believe in God of the Bible. I've gone, you know. 180 degrees the other way. I'm not saying that there's not some higher power. I'm not saying that there isn't something. But I don't think it's what I was taught. But I think that how I dealt with what I went through as I got older and my perspective probably contributed somewhat to the divorce at the end of the day. And she was an awful person too. But besides that, like it, I think that because she also wanted to be religious. And I guess we all have a choice. And Kaki has decided to find a, a compromise in that. And I didn't. So I can appreciate what you're saying. But my guess is that you're not divorced just because of religious differences. Absolutely not. But I'm saying that when one person wants to go to church and have that perspective and do that, and the other person thinks it's all bullshit, there's kind of a big divide there. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I think, you know, you're right. It, the lifelong marriages, I mean, I think that's another hard thing for me growing up was I didn't, I, uh, like you were saying, there's not a right way and a wrong way. And a lot of times people change over time. And at the end of the day, you got to do the best you can. And the best you can might be different at different times of your life. So uh, maybe you're agnostic. Yeah. Kaki, you are a Christian, uh, someone who believes in – you're a – I can't hear you. Did you mute Oh, your... sorry. There we yeah, go. I did. Um, I struggle – I would say I'm agnostic, but I also have to balance what my wife wants and what I think is best. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, there's that compromise that I've made where I help in the children's ministry because they're they're teaching just good values. It's not like I don't know. And to me, Bible stories are similar to Greek mythology. As a kid, you might believe them. Well, I'm saying as a kid, you might think, oh, this is a cool story. There's a moral lesson here. Mm-hmm. Do I believe it's 100% true? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. But that's hard. It's it's hard because I have to balance, like, uh, like Navian mentioned, when I got married, I probably presented myself a lot more religious than I am. Mm-hmm. And my wife, my wife has gotten to the point she understands, and she understands that I will do what's best for the family because I want to be 
you know, I want to parent with her. I want to be on the same page as her. That might mean we disagree on things, but that shouldn't get in the way of us parenting together, I guess. I don't, I don't know. That's worked for us so far, I feel like. So what about uh, your relationship with your parents at going through all this? How do you feel as an adult? How do you view them having children of your own, trying to make decisions? Like, do you believe your parents were acting in good faith? They were trying to do the best they, they could? Are they, do they feel remorse about this? Like, how, what is your relationship like with your parents now? And how, how does it inform who you are as a parent? Well, I think for sure, my brother and I might have differing opinions on this one. But I think that's just because we have two different points of view. It doesn't make one point of view better than the other. I know sure. that's kind of hedging hedging the bet. But for me, I've gone the route that I basically told them I don't want them in my life. And I don't want them trying to indoctrinate my kids because that's what I saw my mom trying to do. Um, I feel like I was raised with two very narcissistic people that just cared about themselves um, and I can remember, too, growing up, we were poor. I mean, we did not have very much. I remember days my mom was worried whether we'd have enough gas money to get from point A to point B. And she was the one with the college education. She was the one that could have got out, gone out there and got a good-paying job. And half the time she said, oh, I've stayed home for the kids, but she was always involved with the kids' ministry. She was always involved with an after-school program or CEF. I remember there were days that I was left at home all day long when I'm supposed to be doing homeschooling, but I was there because she was out doing ministering to other people's kids and helping other people's kids. I mean, growing up, for example, <laughs> I would ride my bike um, two miles to the library every Thursday. I would check out the maximum amount of movies I could, and I would watch them when I got home, and then I would hide them until the next week I went back to get more. Because every Thursday, I forgot where she was, but she was off doing some children's ministry thing for free when she probably should have had a job to actually afford the things that we had in our house. To, so we weren't, you know, getting from paycheck to paycheck. And I think that's really fallen into me is I really care about, not about making money, but I want to make sure that I make wise decisions and I support my kids because I don't want my kids to ever feel like they they they're wanting for anything um, but i also want them to understand the value of money because i feel like i understand the value of money a lot because of how i was raised navy do you want to jump in at all so if i think back to my own life and i think of mistakes that i may have made but in with good intention i think right now the difference would be if my parents said that what they did was right, that they stood by the decisions they made. They thought ATI was great and IBLP was great. It would be different, but I've had my mother come to me on numerous occasions and apologize and say she was wrong and say that if she could do it over again, she would, that she wouldn't have done that. And, that, and, and specifically pointing out the areas that she was wrong and how she followed this false leader and, and using words like we were in a cult. I think it goes back to what I said before, where I can't, I can't forget 
but I, I can forgive. And I think I've chosen to forgive. But in all this, I know, I, I know that Kaki made a decision with his own children and his own family. And I respect that. I think the harder thing was maybe for Kaki to accept the fact that that's not how I felt. And I still wanted a relationship with him, but I still needed to have a relationship with my parents. Um, and I, I never felt that, that it wasn't the parent thing. It was your ex-wife that always kept us from hanging out. I agree. Just to be blunt. But to go back to that, like my brother is the only person I'm close to in my family anymore besides my grandma. Because what I was raised in, I've rejected a lot of it because I don't believe it. The religion, the the ATI, the politics. I was raised a Republican, and I am definitely not a Republican anymore. Me neither. Because I was, I've been exposed to a lot more viewpoints that I was never exposed to uh, before. And the other thing I would say is, my mom and dad have been that way with 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 my brother and my other sibling, because I did force the issue. I was the one that was pushing my mom to admit that this was a cult. I was the one sending her articles. Uh, we had mentioned a good place to look up stuff about Gothard. Recovering Grace is a great website. They have a lot of good stuff on there about what he did and the court cases surrounding what he's doing. But I would send her lots of information like this is what was happening. You saw one thing, but but my brother and I saw another thing because we were in it. We were, you know, down that rabbit hole. We saw what was actually going on. And I think it's because I forced the issue and I kept calling him out on it that they finally agree with that. But for me, I think I'm always going to view my parents as narcissistic. Anytime I feel like I've given them a second chance, they have stabbed me in the back. My dad twice now has literally said that he only has two kids and I'm not one of them. I have that in writing in a text, and I have that writing in a letter. So for me... Our dad says a lot of him. things. Our dad yeah, says well, things that... Yeah, that there's I no excuse. Call. I'm a parent myself. I understand, but I feel like I I have more grace for him than maybe you do. But I just think of my own kids, and I think what happened is when I had my own kids, I was triggered because I was looking at my own kids, I'm like... I would never treat them the way I was treated as a kid. I've never spanked my kids, ever. I've never laid a hand on my kids, and my kids are amazing. They're great kids. I love them to death. I didn't have to beat them within an inch of their life. My mom would usually, she would literally go out and buy curtain rods to spank us with. They're wooden dowel rods, sir. Uh, they were curtain, they were, so did you, do you remember ben, how thick they were? She went to Ben Franklin. She went to Ben Franklin. And bought, bought wood doweling rods. There were these long, thin sticks. And she thought that the thicker the stick, the older you were. So there would be like a, a large, a medium, and a small. But the thing was, have you ever Sounds been... like a sex shop. Have you ever been spanked? <laughs> have you ever been spanked? Have I been spanked? But no, have you ever been spanked? Consensually? No. <laughs> no, have you ever been spanked with a switch? Like something really thin? Like... Our sister would get the thinnest little rod, and it would just freaking. She would spank her, and it would leave marks like it wasn't cool. And I want to say one thing: like, I probably accept my brother more than I accept my sister, and I'll tell you why. 
because my sister has chosen to do not all the cult things, but kind of go off the map and do some of the cult things, which we talk about triggers and we talk about church and the things that bring up our past. There's things that she does that triggers me like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to raise chickens and just live off the farm and kind of be more not vaccinate my kids and do this kind of crazy crap. And I feel like all of our past, her not rejecting it like my brother and I have, but accepting some of it, but not all of it, puts this big gap between her and me where we really don't have anything in common. And to jump in there too, going back to the whole, my sister was always treated differently by my parents than my brother and I. Like my, my parents actively did not want my brother and I to go to college and then turned around and help her go to a college. They helped her sign up, help her get ready, went out there with her, gave her a car. It's it's very two different worlds. So she, I've already, she I've never. Also, if you would have been a girl, they would have stopped. I told my mom that to her face the last time I saw her. I told her I was the second boy on the way to a girl. It's true. And I said bye. So. So yeah, I have a I have a worse history with my parents, but I feel like that's because of I was the black sheep. I was the one that pushed stuff. I was the one that usually had an opinion. I learned how to live in plain sight. But when I look at my own kids, I actively want to be a part of my kids' life. My kids aren't afraid to be around me. Growing up, I was always terrified of my father. I never knew what he was going to do or say or how he was going to react. I mean, all honesty, if we had gone to school, to a real school, probably someone would have called public services on us. And, I mean, my wife is a social worker. So I, I know some of the things she tells me in confidence is stuff that I'm like, well, I, I went through that myself. Hmm. So, yeah, I can't. And I feel like when I had kids, I tried to let them in, and they just broke every trust barrier I had with them and I finally had to make the decision do I always have to worry about what they're going to do when I'm not around with my kids or do I just cut off contact and so I made the decision to cut off contact and part of me understands that there's going to be a lot of things I don't agree with them but it's hard for me to deny my children access to their grandparents and I think that's the difference and I feel like my parents denied me so much stuff. Fuck them. They're not going to have access to my own kids. Which makes, we can agree to disagree. And we still respect. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. But there is two different viewpoints. Again, it's not black and white. I mean, we come from very different, even though we're brothers, we have very different experiences. And because of that, that's going to shape our worldviews and how we view our relationship with our own parents. So. Yep. And, and it, I mean, I think you're two different people. Not only did you have different experiences, but you have different brains, right? We're, you grew up in the same house with the same parents, many of the same experiences, some different experiences. One of you is the oldest in the family. One of you is the middle in the family. And you have different experiences as, as adults too. And I think it doesn't surprise me at all that you, you with the same set of parents, have very different approaches to your own kids and having them in your life or not. Like, and yeah. And I think it's very interesting, I guess is what I'm, 
and it's it matches up with what I understand to be the human experience, which is it's not really the same for any two people. I mean, I haven't talked a lot during this time, but my experience of this whole thing is different as well. And, I, and it sounds like it was different for your other sibling. And I, I don't know that there's a, a, a right or a wrong. I can tell you that I'm very grateful. My parents have apologized that we're in there. And <laughs> when we first, uh, when, they, when my mom first apologized, she's done it so many times. I was like, it's okay. I didn't get screwed up. I was fine. There was nothing wrong. And as life has progressed for me, um, and I've learned more about myself, I believe her more. And I understand how, how screwed up I got. I don't know what to do about that. Other than I've, you know, my best. I was going to say, and I feel like at this point, I am the the epitome of evil in HN IBLP because, I I mean I don't remember fully, but it was always I remember the IBLP things were always about bitterness, the root of bitterness, and I think a lot of people might listen to this and think I'm bitter, but I'm not. I mean I made a decision. It's not been an easy decision. It's not like I said. It's not there's times I'm not sad at holidays or things that I don't have family around that you know is not just my wife's family but moving forward I had to break what I thought was I mean a lot of trauma I experienced is directly from my parents and I I'm not going to put my kids through that same trauma if that makes sense and it's driving me crazy because I can't remember it now but do you remember they used to talk about like the root of all business is evil or some shit like that and there was like a tower or a castle. Yeah, I don't, I don't, you'd have to look it up, I'm not. Yeah, something about when you let bitterness into your heart, it keeps your heart from being fully gods or something like that. And, and then there's a stronghold and then you can build more strongholds in your heart, something along those lines. I think one of the ways that I've been able to cope and put a lot of things behind me is looking looking at what are the positives because there's a lot of negatives there's a lot of negatives but well that was my next question is you're both you're both not super religious there's there's for one of you there's no relationship with your parents for another one there is like this desire to believe the best but still trauma and hurt from the past but what 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 can you see back from your childhood? What was what what are some of the good things that came from life? Well, that were I, I mean, you know, me, me living on the mountain and doing the things I did, I learned so many different skills that have applied to today. Where I can do electrical, I can do construction. I can, not that that's what I do for a living, but I learned a lot of valuable skills and figured out my. My father never had patience, um, love him, but whenever you go out to the car and he'd want to show you something, you'd start to do it and you get frustrated and say, give that to me. I'm going to do it myself. And you'd be like, well, I don't want to be here. I'm going to leave. Like he never, I mean, I value the things he tells me more now. Uh, but when we were younger, he just didn't have the patience for it. So I learned a lot about, you know, physically how to do things. And I think I learned a lot about life. I I think back to when I was in Australia and 
I was stranded. I had nobody. I had to figure everything out on my own. And you think about every teenager when they're 18, 19, 20, and they go travel abroad or they do these things and they have to, there's a, there's a come to Jesus moment where you figure out I'm an adult. I got to figure things out on my own and I got to, no one's going to look out for me. I got to look out for myself. And there's plenty of instances where I felt I was thrown to the wolves, but I figured it out. I got to the other side of it and things were okay. So I think going through what I went through definitely has helped me be at peace with figuring whether it's bad or good or whatever, it's going to be okay. I'm going to come out on the other end of it and it's going to be okay. I think some of the negatives, there was no diversity. We, there was white people in one way and that's it. And I think the biggest struggle in, in my life has really been to accept people not on first impression or um, thinking they're right or wrong really getting to know that person before I judge them because everything that we did was really about judging everybody else and that we were better and uh, that drove a lot of it so I think I still struggle with being judgmental towards a lot of people before I get to know them and I think that all goes back to ATI and IBLP. For me I would say to, to to bounce off of what my brother said is self-reliance. I learned how to take care of myself because I realized at a certain age, like what I'm being told is not true. I need to figure this out. I need to question everything. And I mean, some of the other positives are some of the good relationships. I mean, Michael, that's how I met you. I would never met you. And I have a few other uh, friends that I still keep in contact from my time in ATI. I mean, that was one of the good things. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I did do a lot with children's ministries, and now I'm a public educator. I think a lot of that is I found out what I was good at while I was in the ministry. I was never, I know my, my brother learned a lot of like hands-on skills, like electrical and all that stuff. And I feel like I do that stuff myself because I do that for my own house, but stuff I learned on my own from YouTube or from asking my brother, I don't. I don't really go to my dad for stuff. The few times I have, he loses his temper and he storms off or he he does a half-assed job because he wants to be done. And I, I didn't want to deal with that anymore. So, I mean, for me, I found out that I wanted to teach. And so I pursued getting an education and getting a master's degree and making sure that I went and taught. And again, education is not a job for anyone because obviously you don't make any money in it literally in my state you can't find good teachers anymore because they've all been chased away but uh i do love what i do i wouldn't trade what i do for anything else every day i go in it's interesting it's exciting and i get to help kids that don't have anyone else to help them and i feel that's another thing that i walked away from is i wish i would have had an adult that could have guided me in the right direction and i didn't I just want to add to that and say that out of all of us kids, I think my brother pushed himself the furthest. I mean, I'm a manager for a Starbucks. My sister is a dental assistant. My brother is the one person that really pushed himself and despite all odds, did what he wanted to do, knew what he wanted to do, and made it happen. 
and made a career out of it. So all the angst and all the stuff that he went through pushed him to that point. So in retrospect, all the crap, maybe he would be further than he is right now in a career or something else. But all the stuff he went through brought him to the point that he is at today. Thanks. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Well, what? anything else you want to ask us before we wrap this up? Um, I, I hesitate to ask this, but I, I want to because it's been something in my life. Um, I can definitely relate to being very triggered by Christianity and the hypocrisy that I saw um, in ATI and in just Christianity in general. And it's not just Christianity and in religions, really, in structures. And really, it's not even just religion. It's all humanity is messed up and people take advantage of other people. And one of the things that has been difficult for me to reconcile is there are a lot of different Christians than I ever knew growing up. Like I live across the street from a Methodist church and Methodists are way different than the social conservative Republican. Uh, And there's, I think it's worth asking you, do you ever do you ever wonder if you've thrown the baby out with the bathwater sort of concept of like it, it, it like uh... I get what you're saying I understand I feel like it's 50 50 if I die and I'm wrong I go to hell but in the long run if I'm a good person if I feel like I'm doing right by the people that I love, by society, by everyone else around me, then that's a loss I guess I'm willing to take. Because if you're going to judge me on whether I accept one thing or not, and that's going to send me to heaven or hell, versus what kind of person I am here on earth, and whether that morality is just based on the Bible or just based on being a good person, then I guess send me to hell. For me, I would say um, it's something I always pushed with anyone that asked me is I want to be a moral person. Christianity was the thing that started me down that path. I don't think it's the only way to get down that path. Hmm. I teach social studies in a public school. I have to teach all religions. I have to teach kids about Confucianism, Taoism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, animism i mean i can go on and on Mm -hmm. and you see all the different belief systems that are out there and you see the similarities and the differences and you see how people really believe that theirs is the you know theirs is the main idea this is how you're going to get where you need to go um you realize all those are in many ways in my mind man-made constructs i don't I i guess i don't I view some of that as ways to control people, control religions. And the the best example I give of that is if I meet someone new and the first thing they lead with them is I'm a Christian, that's probably someone I don't want to be around because if you're leaning solely on a label, that, that, that gets you off the hook on actually having to do the work of being a good person half the time. 
Does that make sense? And I'm just saying, like, someone who leads with that, that, oh, I go to church, I'm Christian, I mean, that's off-putting to me. If I find out you're a great person and later on I find out your religion, that's a normal thing. But if you lead with that, that, that totally makes me distrust you right off the bat. And and so for me, it's not baby with the bathwater. It's like I only had one choice for so many years. I've seen that there's other choices and I, you know, I'm going to pick and choose from all those choices, the good parts and fuck the bad parts. And I think from our past, it was always do as I say, don't do as I do. This is the way, but I'm going to do this. If someone wants to show me who they are, it's in their actions. And I feel the same way about myself. I'm not going to say something or do something. I'm going to show you. I'm going to be that person. I'm going to be that way. Um, and that defines me is, is my actions, not what I say, whether I label myself as Christian, Muslim, Jew, whatever, I'm white, you're black, that doesn't matter. What matters is what you, who you are as a person and how you show that. Yeah, I like that. Well, I mean, there's a lot we could continue to talk about. Like, we didn't even, like, really scratch how, how much messed up stuff happened. But I think we'll leave it there for for this time really appreciate you guys being willing to talk about this and I, I i loved your answers at the end there of it's not necessarily about religion it's about letting someone be who they are and then you find out who they are by watching them be who they are and that's that's what it really boils down to um, and i think that's i don't know very many sane people who would disagree with that as a as as the, the true test of people. Um, all right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. Yep, thanks. A Simple Life with Michael Jeffries is sponsored by Diaper. Diaper makes disposable diapers out of bamboo to bring just a little more sustainability to our world. My wife and I use them on our babies and we think they're great. If you need diapers for your babies or you want to buy a gift card for a friend who needs diapers, click the link you'll find on anchor.fm slash a simple life. If you don't want any diapers, but you still want to support this podcast, uh, please give us a like or a comment, a recommendation, that kind of stuff. And you are always welcome to visit anchor.fm slash simple life and leave an audio note. Um, just a couple of closing comments. Uh, when I listened back to the episode, I, I noticed that I laughed at some of the names in the cult as I remembered them, like Advanced Training Institute, Umbrella Protection, Training Centers, things like that. And my laugh, um, I mean, I find some humor in them, but I, I, as I listened back, I could really tell my laugh, I became self-aware. My laugh was a defense mechanism to try and shield me from some deep feelings of guilt and shame and hurt that are associated with those memories. I thought that was a kind of an interesting thing to remark on and become aware of. I'm grateful for that. And another thing is that, you know, I listened to those conversation um, 
<laughs> several times to do the editing and it kind of it concerns me um, and if I'm not careful it it it, it frightens me um, to think that you know as a daddy I worry that I'll expose my kids to a cult or to you know profoundly impact their lives in negative ways hurt them so badly that they'll they'll need to cut me out of their lives as adults and I do not want that I love my kids and I want to be around them and their lives and their kids uh, until until I die and and I'm grateful because you know, I was having those thoughts and the honest truth is I have a really solid friendship with my dad in adulthood uh, and my mom too. My dad and I have become close friends as adults and that knowing that helps me kind of circle back to remembering that the future stories are not written. I can learn from my past. It's it's our job to learn from the past. It's one of the gifts that the past gives us. But to live in fear of what might happen in the future uh, robs me, my kids, everybody of being able to live now, live presently and do that the best we can and enjoy it. And that is comforting to me. Before we go, um, if you do want to learn more about Gothard and ATI and all this stuff, uh, there's a lot you can know about it. Um, a good place to start is that website with all the personal accounts that Kaki mentioned in the episode, recoveringgrace.org. I'll put a note um, in the show notes with a link to it if, if, uh, if for, for those of you who want to go down that rabbit hole. So... That's all I got. Um, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you down the road. Khaki, you told me you, uh, you were a night owl. And here you are, yawning. You were yawning earlier. Don't even. You're like, ooh. ooh.